UK podcast episode 251. Do you believe? My name's Matthew Turner alongside Ashley Soden, and hopefully Stephen Collins will join us midway through the show. Ash, how you doing, mate? Great, great. It's every single week we get further and further into unprecedented century for me in sports. So I'm just riding the high as much as I can before things come to an end in a couple of weeks with. Hopefully, Dan Campbell and Jared Goff lifting the Lombardi Trophy as Patrick Mahomes cries into Brittany's arms and she gets a nice TikTok out of it. I'm, I just, I for some reason this almost doesn't feel as euphoric as last week because it really felt like you were kind of crashing through the glass ceiling last week. Yeah, this week I am just staggered that we are in the final four and I don't want this to end. The idea that we're doing another Thursday preview show for another week fills me with excitement. I, I cannot wait to get there and talk about San Francisco. But first, we've got to review this game that happened yesterday, Bucks at Lions. And before we do that, we're just going to do our normal preamble. So please don't forget to join our Discord channel. If you want to join a great community of Lions fans, that's just super friendly and nice and no toxicity tolerated whatsoever, then the link is in the YouTube and Twitch chats right now. Come say hi. Uh, College Football Podcast, the guys have been hard at work previewing the all-star circuit that started with the Hula Bowl last week. And of course, the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl is coming up. So they are going to be previewing those, I think. It's the Shrine Bowl this week because I, uh, well, in Discord, me and Ant had a bit of discussion about some of the corners that'll be there this week. Yeah. Uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, all of that and good stuff. You know what to do. You know how much it helps us out. And we are Twitch affiliated, YouTube monetized, and it's a tip jar down below. If you're enjoying what you're listening to at some point in the show and you want to show some love, that'd be fantastic. There's also our merch store, which I really should get on designing some topical stuff for, but I haven't yet. But if you want to uh, support the show, but want to get something in return, then that's a really good way to do that. There's also a feedback form in the YouTube description. So if you've got any ideas for content, especially with the off season coming up, we'd love to hear from you. Ash, we've got quite a bit of news before we get to Bucks at Lions. And the first thing is that, unfortunately, the tight end, Brock Wright, who seems to have this amazing knack of picking up key yards in situations when everyone else, including the defense, has forgotten he's on the field. He's broken his forearm and he's expected to go on IR. In replacement, the Lions have signed three-time Pro Bowler and a former Arizona Cardinal and Philadelphia Eagles, Zach Ertz, to the practice squad. Yeah. It's so sad for Brock. Just really coming off that uh, hip groin injury he had that ruled him out for a couple of weeks and obviously has a bit worried having us, uh, and then we had Ferks and that there. James Mitchell breaking his hand last week, him going to IR when he was just getting some snaps. It's a bit sad for these like young tight ends who 
have a lot of upside. Which is and unfortunately they're both gone now. Hopefully Brock can rest up, get that arm right, and he'll be back next season in that tight end two free roll. But Ertz, a nice steady guy to have in the playoffs. Not exactly gonna but like take the world by storm and do amazing things like Wright did with that massive catch. Yes, uh yesterday as we'll come on to. But he's a nice, steady, you know what he's getting from him. And maybe especially in the red zone, he can be a sort of weapon there. And he brings just experience, a bit more experience onto that offense to help people like Laporta, like Amarana, people that haven't really been there. You gotta forget, you can't forget Ertz has been to a Super Bowl. He's been to a couple. Like he just brings that. It's just another dimension to this offense in terms of knowledge and that and how to prepare, how to if we do get there, how to handle all the media circus before the Super Bowl. He'll be a nice to be constant to have in that locker room for the younger guys. He's been in Arizona for the last two and a half seasons. With them, he's only racked up 1,167 yards. He's dealt with injury over the past two seasons. Uh, It cut it short halfway through last year, only played 10 games. And then this year, he's only played in seven games. He went on IR in October and then was waived in November after basically Arizona were done. And we all knew that they would be anyway. It seems a long time ago that we were talking about Ertz as one of the best tight ends in the NFL. The last time he broke 900 yards in a season was in 2019. But it is worth mentioning that he has 46 career touchdowns at a 10.5 yards per reception rate. So you are talking about a guy that's done fantastically well in the receiving game and not in short yardage situations. You know, this is someone who is going to, I mean, not be too dissimilar to Sam Laporta in terms of what he brings you on offense, I don't think. So Brock was more of like a blocking guy with receiving upside and Ertz is maybe slightly more of the reverse, I would suggest. Yeah, definitely, especially... uh, Definitely in the, definitely back then in the Eagles days, I'd say yes. But I think now, because he has lost a step, he's had a bit of injuries, he has had to turn more into the like, sort of blocking guy who can do possession stuff. He's to say he's not really gonna go out and do what Brock did, getting like a 30-yard catch on a like a crossing route. He's the kind of guy that, especially in the red zone and that you sort of put on car routes where he can use that big frame and his knowledge to leverage the ball. He might, and I'm saying all this, he'll probably then uh, against San Francisco on Sunday pop off a 50-yard touchdown. So just to prove me wrong, if that happens, I'll be very happy. But yeah, it's he, he'll be a nice compliment because back then, 2019, who did he have with him in Philadelphia? A young, athletic, tight end, Dallas Goddard. It'll be, I think we can have that sort of duo again where he knows how to handle that kind of responsibility of being the older possession guy while the youngster gets all like the fancy yards. He can do the tough yards and he's gritty. And that's the major thing with this team. You need to have grit. Absolutely. Hopefully he's stayed in shape after being waived in late November because, you know, he's been without a team for almost two months now. So you wouldn't have blamed him if he'd taken his foot off the gas, but maybe he realised where he was at in terms of what he could offer to a playoff team and has just kept fit. You'd hope so, because otherwise you wouldn't have thought the Lions would have signed him. So fingers crossed that he can make a good contribution. And on the injury front as well, Ash, unfortunately during the game, guard Jonah Jackson, who had an absolutely fantastic game prior to this, got injured and didn't return. And it was revealed by Jeremy Fowler of ESPN that he had surgery on a slight meniscus tear. The quote from him is, will likely miss 
the championship game, but could return for the Super Bowl if they get there. Um, I find the wording interesting on this, and I'll just say this up front, because it's sad for Jonah that he will likely miss. Does not say will miss. Yeah, it, it reeks a bit of, and I'm hoping it isn't, maybe it's Tacopium, Frank earlier this season, because he had basically the same thing. Mm. Look, he missed one game, he was back the next week being his prime self. Like that, maybe it's the coping for me thinking that because spoiler alert for later when we discuss it, he had an absolute barnstormer of a game before he had to go out with the injury. And it's a career year for him. And I know some some of our fellow podcasters in this realm have suggesting that he won't be back next year. There's been an offer on the table for him since the start of the season, he's holding out for more money. I'm hoping he's back because we're already going to have a hole at the starting right guard position next year because, for me, I prefer Graham as a backup rather than a starter. So we'll be looking for one guard. I don't be looking for two because we've already got needs elsewhere, outside corner, maybe another consistent DT because, aside from Aleem, everyone else is either inconsistent or old. Maybe an edge next to Hutch, maybe a young wide X-wide receiver, that we don't need more needs mounting up. So I'd like, hopefully, for Jonah to stick around. Plus, Kerry days, but as good as he is in the run game, most of the pressures we gave up yesterday were through him. So we need a good pass block, especially against that 49ers D-line if we come against it. And then if we make it all the way, both Baltimore and Kansas City have good defensive tackles as well. We need Jonah healthy, hopefully. Fingers crossed for him. Uh, it, it's a really sad way. If he wasn't to re-sign and he didn't play another game for the Lions, it's a really sad way for him to end. But what a high as a, in yeah. terms of his Lions career to go out on to win two playoff games back-to-back when they haven't done it since 1991-92. For him to have done that in the culmination of what he's done here. So in some ways, maybe not the worst way to go, but but never mind. Let's move on to this game, which finished Tampa Bay 23, Detroit Lions 31. And, Ash, this game looks remarkable, really, because both teams have the same number of points scored in every quarter, bar the fourth quarter, where the Lions scored 14 to Tampa's six. Um, But the Lions led wire to wire. And let me just go through the stats, then we can talk about it at a high level. But Baker Mayfield went 26 of 41 for 349, three touchdowns and two interceptions. On the ground, they were led by Rashad White, nine carries, 55 yards, and a productive day for him, going almost six yards of carry, over six yards of carry, in fact. And then in the receiving game, Mike Evans had himself a day, eight of 12 for 147 and a touchdown. They also had two other receiving touchdowns. Kate Otten was five of eight for 65 and a touchdown. And Rashad White got in on the action in the receiving game, four of five for 36 and a touchdown. For the Lions, Jared Goff, another efficient Turnover free performance, 30 of 43, 287 and two touchdowns in the rushing game. Jameer Gibbs was fantastic. Nine carries for 74 yards and a touchdown, including a 31-yard effort. There was another rushing touchdown by Craig Reynolds. One carry, one yard, one touchdown. In the receiving game, it was spread out a lot. Amon Rousant Brown led the team 8 of 14 for 77 and a touchdown. Sam Laporta, though, actually got more receptions than he did with 9 for 11 for 65. And Josh Reynolds was the other guy to have a touchdown for the Lions, 2 of 3 for 27 and a touchdown. 
Defensively, the Lions got two picks, one by C.J. Gardner-Johnson on Tampa Bay's first drive and Derek Barnes on their last drive. Otherwise, Tampa were led in tackles by Levante David with 13. They had two sacks, one by Carly Jacanson, one by Levante David, and otherwise two tackles for a loss, one by Levante David and one by K.J. Britt. Detroit were led in tackles jointly by Branch and Melifomi with nine each. They had four sacks, one by Branch, one by Hutchinson, one by Melifonwu, and then one shared by Melifonwu and Jalen Reeves-Mabin. They also had one other tackle for a loss. That was also by Brian Branch. In terms of the kicking game, Badgley was perfect with one of one in the field goals and four of four for extra points. Chase McLaughlin has one for two in field goals and two of two in extra points. Both punters were exceptional on the day. Jake Kamada and Jack Fox had themselves fantastic games. Ash, what are your thoughts on this game overall? It was, if last week was a euphoric high, this week it was a tough old slog and we made it. We kick a field goal, they kick a field goal. We score a touchdown, they score a touchdown. It's like that Borat meme, except for we get the last laugh like Borat does. We get that clock, uh, that radio that the neighbour can't get. Okay, we score another touchdown and we stop their two-point conversion, which they should have gone for. They should have done it. The analytics is there. I don't disagree with that. Don't get why Todd Bowles didn't use his timeout, but he said that he thought the game was over, so I'm not going to complain. Do what you need to do, mate. But yeah, it started off badly with the three and out as we get on to. Picks up a bit. Third quarter. End of the second, third quarter. Bit of a slog. Bit hard to watch, but in the fourth, we just came alive. When the chips were down, we needed plays to be made. We made those plays and we come out with a dub while Tampa Bay have to slink back to their nice sun, uh, sunny winter homes and think about next season. It was a really weird game to watch back because at no point did I feel like we were going to lose. It yeah. just didn't feel like it. We were always pushing the agenda, taking the ball first. The only time where it felt like it might go awry is when we had a chance to score with two minutes to go in the first half, didn't take it, and they get a touchdown to level the game, and then they get the ball to start the second half, but we forced a punt in that first possession, and then we're ahead of the game again. And, you know, even when Tampa scored the late touchdown and then got the ball back, kind of just wasn't worried, even though Mike Evans was making hay at that time and looked unplayable, it still didn't really feel like we were going to lose. I don't know about you. Yeah, Maybe, yeah, the end of the second half, uh, the, first, the second quarter, I mean, to the first half, I felt a bit like Tampa could get back into it, not only because, as you say, we had a chance to go score again, make it a two-score game going into the half, so whatever happened in their first possession at the, uh, the half, we were gravy. We don't, but also Frank goes down and Jonah goes down. Then I was a bit like, oh, God, what happens if that that's like the turning point, the moment, like the momentum has flipped? But you say you didn't. A bit worrying then get that punt coming out the half and then the momentum's all back to us again and we're gravy. Yep, Mike Evans went off. As I keep pointing out to people on Twitter last night, what, like, yeah, we give up 150 yards to privacy once every year, uh, every week. Look at the other fuckers, they're not really doing that much. You can st- you can take, it's not like we're getting stabbed by a million different things. It's one big cut and we can just put a bandage around it and march on. It's not like we've got a million bullet holes in us. So it's workable. Next week, can we do it again? Hopefully. D 
Debo with a hairline fracture shoulder, 50-50 to play, starting with him playing because obviously you need to in this kind of game. I have faith that we can at least like do the same performance, especially with how bad Purdy looked against Green Bay and that not-so-electric Joe Barry defence. I think the thing about giving up all those yards to one receiver that we have done is it hasn't been that they have been a consistent target all the way through the game that seems to get 15 or 20 yards here or there. We tend to shut that player down for a large portion of the game and then they have one drive where they just get fed the ball and score a touchdown having got 60 yards by themselves and that propels them to these big numbers. We've really only given up seven points for all of those yards. And then actually in the rest of the game, we've been fine. And so when I talk about giving up all these yards to one receiver and I say, but what was the result of the game and did it look close? Like we're still winning these games and we haven't been behind in the playoffs yet. I don't think I think we were behind last week. We haven't been behind this week. Like and it's not been at risk. Exactly. You look off, I can't remember which point I was saying off. I think it was from the Denver game onwards because it was a reply to one of Pride Detroit's tweets today. But you look at it, we've uh, in the games we've given sort of had this kind of defense where we let Jerry Jude, like a court and some Jerry Judy or that kind of person get yards. We've held teams around like 21 points and we've won the we won basically all of the games. The other one we've lost is obviously that game down in Jerry World where we technically won, but the ref said nah. Um it's working. So all these tweets about like people are putting out there, oh yeah, defense is left in the playoffs and it's the top three points per game, and then us way down in the list. We're still fucking here. What does that say? If we the, the, the top three defense scoring defenses are still here and we're still here, what does that say about our offense? Maybe that's why we're here. Maybe it's also because we're really damn good on special teams. DVOA and that might not agree, but when it's come to a clutch, we've been pretty damn good. Like, have we had a bad, a bad special teams? play so far in the playoffs not really so the like the worst one we had is perhaps that one where we let the ball bounce as we get onto in this game and we got pinned a bit deeper than we should have done but yeah I'm really bad, bad, bad we deserve to be here no matter what everyone else says obviously they've probably all ruled us out already like oh you're gonna go to Santa Clara and get blown out I don't give a shit you didn't believe it's against Rams last week this week you might predict us to win but you're still like we're still below Tampering pretty much every single ranking that came out last week. Worst defense in the playoffs, worst quarterback left in the playoffs, all this, all that. We're still here kicking and punching while some of the guys you ranked above us have got to go back home with their tails between their legs. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And yet I'm not vain enough to come out and say in the ranking of the conference championship teams that I don't think we shouldn't be ranked for because the way Kansas City are playing the way we're playing I think it's a push right now but if someone said we think you're four and Kansas City are three I'm not going to argue I don't think that my head is getting too big and that I'm taking people for granted or anything like that it's not about that it's just having a look at what we've done to other teams this year having a look at our wins record actually saying it wasn't a cakewalk that we've beaten really good teams and then we're being ranked below teams that are getting hot at the right time. Well, what about us being hot at the right time? We've lost two of the last, like, nine or something. So we are just as hot as anyone out there. And I don't think anyone should be taking us for granted. Rex Ryan certainly isn't. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) I love it. Let's go through 
Uh, a little bit of some drive summaries here. Lions took the ball first, and for once it didn't work out for them. Monty on second down and 10 was tripped in the flat for only eight yards when he had a lot of ground in front of him. It was a really good tackle, actually. And then on third and three, because it was seven and a half yards rather than eight, but whatever, third and two and a half, uh, pass was back to the Lions. So we had to punt first up. So first blood to Tampa Bay. And the Bucks come out on their first drive. And Rashad White just has himself a really good first few plays. First reception and run successfully back-to-back -back for 8 and 16 yards, respectively. And then a massive sack by Fati Melafonwu. So he lines up outside of Hutch and about five yards deeper than the line. And Hutch goes inside and takes the right tackle with him, leaving Melafonwu absolutely free to hit Baker, who never saw him. And that makes it third and 17. And he throws an absolute... Bullet to Evans. I mean, you're talking maybe uh, 15 yards needing 17. So it wasn't even going to go for a first down if it was caught. And it's thrown so hard, basically, at Evans's face that all he does is pops it up in the air for uh, CD Juice or Chauncey Garden Johnson, depending on what you want to call him. Uh, caught it and he span and shifted and ran east to west to gain himself 12 yards to get down to the Tampa Bay 41. And now the Lions are in press territory. Hold gives them the first down as well after this. Goff with a good pass through to Jameson Williams and a face mask penalty and to half the distance to the goal on there. From the seven, Gibbs gets four down to the three-yard line. Then Goff on play action off his back foot, underthrows it to Amara St. Brown. And Jamal D makes a great break on the ball and shows why he's a DB and not a receiver because that one really should have been caught. Third and goal then from the three and the Lions get a little bit conservative with a run up the middle by David Montgomery against one of the best rushing defenses and best red zone defenses in the NFL. Didn't feel like that was going to be successful and it wasn't for no gain. Field goal was good from 23 yards. Lots to talk about in that drive but I'll stop after the third possession I think. Bucks come back for their second drive. Another white eight-yard run to start. We really struggled against Rashad White early. Great pass breakup by Sutton on Evans. That's the last time you'll hear me say that about Cam Sutton on this game. Third and two. Baker with a great throw to Mike Evans versus Ifati Malafonwu. Really good coverage by Ify. Really tight on, on Evans, but it's a great throw and it's a great catch. Uh, then a play action quick slant to Palmer versus zone for 23 yards. And then Baker tries to do play action, but gets absolutely smothered by Brian Branch on a nickel blitz. Uh, Baker then scrambles upfield for one. Then on third and 18, they don't even try with Edmonds just running for field goal position. He got himself, I think, nine yards, fourth and nine. And the field goal was good from 43 yards, making it three to three. Lions third possession run by Gibbs. To the left with Saul in motion from right to left, who absolutely destroyed someone trying to tackle him. And then on third and one, Goff sneaked it, which may be second or third time this season I've seen that. We really don't do that sort of thing. So it took him by surprise. And it was for a good game, too. I think he got four or five yards on that sneak. Goff then with a pass to Amon Ross and Brown on third and two. An amazing block in pass protection by Jameer Gibbs on a blitzing linebacker there. And then Goff with an amazing throw under pressure to Sam Laporta versus uh, Carlton Davis for 13. If you want a breakdown of that, go and watch Brian Baldinger because he talks about how just a little motion there managed to get Sam Laporta on the corner rather than the safety. He had lots of time. Uh, Goff then with 
uh, throw to Sam LaPorta again over the middle with lots of time to throw for 14 yards on third and five from the nine yard line. Goff in an empty set with a touchdown throw to Josh Reynolds over the middle on a high low. Again, Baldy broke that down as well. PAT was good and the Lions lead 10 to three. And then the Bucks come out. They have a third and five and a great tackle by Jalen Reese Mabin to stop them short. But they actually committed OPI in the process. It sets them back 10, third and 15. And Edmonds gets himself 14 yards. They're back to fourth and one like they would have been before. And they end up punting. Ashes about halfway through the first half now. So the end of the first quarter of just after. Lions are up by seven. They've just got the ball back. And all is well. I mean, we didn't score on that first drive. We only got three points off the turnover. But you know, a, a good pick and, you know, getting points on there is at least reasonable. Safety blitz by Iffy. You had the uh, nickel blitz by Brant for the sack. But with all of that said, you know, Rashad White burning us a little bit on the ground. And that was a little bit worrying. But then we hit back with a touchdown. Goff imperious on that drive. Sam reported twice. Reynolds for the touchdown. Things are feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, exactly. Then, like the first drive, I know obviously expect us to run it, but going pass, 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 not the best play calling sequence. Obviously, I know we got close, but don't put yourself in that situation. But then the defense seeing that, like, oh God, that's not good. They go and get us the ball back. I know some people are on Twitter and all that, are like, why is CJ GJ talking shit when they gave up all this? That's why got an interception on him and we picked off Baker twice. You can get all the yards in the world, he didn't get the win, and we still picked him off. So that's why you can go and talk shit, because don't know if people saw it, but at the end of the run, Baker's obviously going back to asylum, and CJ, CD Juice just flips in the ball. It's like, there you go, thanks for the present, but I don't want it anymore, you can have it back, mate. Just talk your stuff. That's why it's people that have seen it, I'm going to probably clip it off later when I download it from the internet. See my reaction after that pick. Let's just say that mask that I've seen some people listening, go, uh, listening at in the chat that was on me i was celebrating with cd with the blue ski mask it was back for a bit but yeah they, they, defense got us the um the ball beat was the big runs it was worrying because that was supposed to be our thing on the defense like we stopped the run we force you into third and mediums to longs and then either we get a pick off you or you convert on us to give up the run it was a bit worrying so it's like well we know they're going to get it through the air if they can get it through the ground as well we're in the hiding to nothing it's going to be really on the offense but again they get close we clamp down two really good play calls from the uh blitz love the one for iffy completely just like stunting sort of almost stunting hutch inside as you say to bring a decky over just to get iffy clear lane he just runs right to baker it's hilarious and then black branch we knew he could do it. He's done it before this season and he's so good in the box. Just times times it up perfectly on this one. Obviously, he does it again a bit later on the run blitz and mistimes it a bit, but he's lethal in those positions as well. Just unlocking that from our sort of nickel safety guys, because if he can do a bit of nickel sometimes, really good, just really good development from this defense. And then yeah, the touchdown drive. Saul is a monster like he was over there from the right tackle position lead blocking Gibbs in a flash like the athleticism that man has at like another like foot on me and good 100 pounds on top of 100 150 pounds on top of me and he can still probably run the 40 faster than I can Jesus Christ and then using the golf sneakers QB sneakers as well as you say 
hasn't really been our thing. When it's been those situations, it's been jumbo set, use Monty, or come in and that to smash it up the middle. They don't expect it. So what do we do? We just use the traditional play, the one that everyone usually does, but because we don't do it, they don't expect it. And maybe also don't expect it because last week, admittedly, with the help of a face mask penalty, they stopped the touch push. Like, there's no way Detroit are going to try a QB sneak on us. Not that I saw that last week. And we do it and it works. So I'm all here for it. And it's just, yeah, the pass to Dreadnoughts as well. Like, that dude, it's, I think it is his first playoff touchdown ever. But he's known that the lights are on and he's come out to play. And him and, him and Jared's connection, long may it continue. Long may it continue because, yeah, he might not be the most flashy receiver in the world, but he's dependable. I mean, you've got to remember at the start of the season, he had that strict like four or five games where every single one of his receptions was either for a first down or a touchdown. That's mad. It is mad. It is mad. He's been absolutely exceptional. I think he might be my player of the playoffs so far for the Lions. He's just been Mr. Reliable. We couldn't have done without him last week in his first quarter getting 75 yards. Yeah. And then this week coming up with a touchdown, he also had a play um, coming up that actually got negated by penalty, which would have been really big too. Uh, so he, he's been fantastic. Just want to refer to your message in our Discord channel, which was from Ian Rappaport reporting that Lions centre Frank Ragnow suffered both a sprained knee and a sprained ankle during the win over the Buccaneers. He missed a few plays and then somehow went back in. He is expected to play this weekend. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's only got four toes on one foot. Anyway, the poor bloke. Like, four give toes him a break. Broke. His throat's fucked. Obviously, it getting broken a couple of years ago. Jesus Christ, he's going to... When he retires, he's going to have to get wheeled out of Ford Field in a wheelchair. And even then, he's going to be like, no, let me walk myself to the golden chariot that's going to take me into the pantheon of the football gods. I'm not letting you carry me. <laughs> Special guy. Right. On with this. The Lions on their fourth possession up 10-3. to three. Goff scrambles up the middle for seven yards. And it was an obvious play. And he actually took it. I love it. Goff to Sam Laporta over the middle again for 12 versus own coverage. Really nice play. Then he goes deep and overthrows JMO on the far sideline. Goff then throws over the middle to JMO on a crosser incomplete. And then Amon Rasen Brown on third and 10 tries to catch a ball at the sticks. Really well timed. Goes up for it and he drops it. Very uncharacteristic for Amon Ra. We end up punting from about the 40 yard line of Detroit to the 13 yard line of Tampa Bay. They take over. And Mayfield with a really nice throw to. Uh, Evans for 23 yards. I mean, he just screwed Sutton on that play. It was it was beautiful to watch. Evans had Sutton's number all day after that very first pass breakup. Uh, Godwin catch brought down by a dropping hutch for only one yard. The first time I've seen our edge players drop into coverage, and I've been glad because he read the play like a book. And then White with a nice move to convert on third and six. It was just a little check down and a little stuff step. He beat one man and got there. Baker with a play action check down to Cade Otten for 14 yards. And then on third and five uh, from the 33-yard line, overthrown to Chris Godwin. End up going for a field goal from 50 yards and a dunk to off the left up right. And it was no good. So the Lions take over at the 40 or so. And on the Lions' possession, they actually end up going three and out, unfortunately, from that good field position. So on third and one, Goff sacked by Cancy, who just had Glasgow's number, end up punting to the Tampa Bay seven. So really good work 
by our punt team in terms of punting it and also covering it. Bucks fifth possession with one and a half minutes to go in the second second quarter. White with a run for 12 yards. What's new? He had a really good day. Great throw to Palmer for nine yards. On third and one, Mayfield scrambled upfield for 14 yards. I will say with that Palmer catch, by the way, they called it third and one. He was a yard beyond the line to gain. I really don't understand the spot on that play. It was atrocious. But third and one regardless. Mayfield with the scramble for 14 yards. Romeo had him on outside contain. And Mayfield just faked the throw and Romeo bought it. It was quite poor on his part. Great throw then to Evans beating Sutton off the line. Sutton tried to jam him at the line. And Evans saw it coming. Just sidestepped him went upfield. It was really disappointing actually. Uh, that play in particular from Sutton. So that gets them all the way down to about 30. And then Baker with an incredible throw to Evans down the far sideline versus Sutton down at the two with 17 seconds left. Uh, tight end Cade Otten then from the two catches the ball, a flag on the play, but then they pick it up because they say there's no offensive pass interference as the, the pick play happened within a yard of the line of scrimmage, which seemed like a good call. PAT was good. 10 to 10 ball game left us 15 seconds at the end of the half, and we nailed it out to go in with Tampa to receive the ball to start the second half with a tie ball game. And Ash, we received the ball 2.30 to go or so, or even less than that, after the field goal miss, thinking we can be two touchdowns in front here. And suddenly it's a level game, and they got a chance to go in front when they come out of the break. Yeah, exactly. Like, admittedly, on that fifth drive, that was the drive that Jonah and then Ragnar went out and pretty much back-to-back plays. It was horrific. Like, as we said, just be Ragnar. Jesus Christ, that man. Because it looked really bad on the coach. You could see him sort of get folded up into golf and he's like, that line now on the floor. And he's like, shit. Because he is a kid. He's fundamental to this, like, to this um to this offense. Like, and respect to Justin Rogers, if you've heard the press conference after with Ragnar. That last question where Justin asked Ragnar, that is exactly why he's the linchpin because... For a man who's seen as a big, beefy guy, because he has to beat an offensive lineman, he's so clever as fuck. Like, you don't really appreciate it, but he, obviously, I know Goff has the glitch checks, but so is Ragnar. Ragnar, literally, as he said in the answer, watch sort of game film, and he literally notes down, okay, in this personnel, this is how often this guy blitzes, how often this guy blitzes, and he sits there and he calculates it in his head. He's like, okay, yeah, likely it's you, you and you coming to blitz me, so this is what we're going to do. And you saw it in this game, and you've seen it the past couple of games. We've gone up against his defences, Broncos, Vikings. Picks up the blitz so well. That's why we need him as as much as it is because he's really good, a really damn good physical player. It's also because he's got the mental side of it down, like the underrated side of centre, in my opinion, the like sort of leadership and the pass protection stuff. So I was scared of shit when that happened, and obviously. My, one of my favourite players in this past draft class coming back to haunt us. Well done to Kansi for showing why I liked you, but at the same time, thank you for having your one good play and then basically doing fuck all for the rest of the game. Respect it. And yeah, it was worrying because I was like, yeah, I was higher then. When down that drive, I was like, yes, they've just doinked it. All the momentum's with us. They've had their funny moments. It's going to really put the foot down in their throat. The pressure's going to be on them. And instead, it's on us. We go into the half, drawn up. And yeah, might have been fair. At least I said that during half time. I was like, you know what? Fair enough. Maybe it deserves to be a tied game. It really didn't. We dominated for 85% of that first half. We should have been a lot further ahead. But alas, 
it was 10-10 or take off the ones. We basically went in at nil-nil. We just had to win the second half. Coming out of the half then, and Tampa do have the ball, as I said, and White with another terrific run for 14 yards, which included a great stiff arm on Brian Branch. He was already kind of going down, but White finished him. Um, third and four, Hutchinson with a big sack, which takes Tampa Bay out of field goal range. They end up punting to the five, which was returned to the 15, but a late block in the back sets them back half the distance from the 15. The only way that works, by the way, is if there's a block in the back with the ball in the air, it happens from where the ball is caught. So the block in the back happened from after the play finished or where the play was happening when he was tackled, which is just stupid because the tackle was happening. Don't, don't do it. Never mind. Uh, so the Lions take over for their seventh possession, go into third and 10 and versus a blitz. It's really well protected and a throw to Reynolds for 25 yards over the middle, but a flag for a chop block on uh, Montgomery nullifies that. We end up punting after we can only get nine yards on third down and 25. Uh, so Tampa Bay take over in great field position. Branch with gets a run blitz tackle for a loss in conjunction with Derek Barnes on Rashad White for four yards, uh, loss of four yards. And then a really nice pass breakup or by Kirby on K-Dot on over the middle, which puts them into third and 14. And they overthrow Evans on the near sideline and end up punting. So even after we go three and out, backed up and given great field position, their defense is stepping up big time. Lions on their eighth possession, third and one, and Brock Wright runs the Jets play for 29 yards. And if you don't know what I mean by that, he lines up on the right-hand side of the line, ends up staying in for pass protection for about two seconds and then releases from right to left and ends up running shallow and then kind of curling up towards the post. Um, not curls the wrong word because that has other connotations, but yes, Ash is showing you exactly what that play is now. He's the green route near the line of scrimmage going from yeah. right to left. Um, so that play got 29 yards. That was before the arm break. Um, another run by Gibbs with Saul out in front on the left-hand side, got us eight yards. Looked like that could break for more, but unfortunately a really good tackle. Then Amon Ra with a crosser, getting all the way down to the five-yard line. Monty gets three down to the two. Third and one, Goff with a quick play action, and uh, kind of he tosses the ball up, hoping it comes down just at the back of the end zone, but it's too high. It's got too much for Sam Laporta. Fourth down and goal from the one, and in checks, Craig Reynolds, Playoff Reynolds, playoff Craig, uh, playoff Craigie, whatever we want to call him, I don't know. And he punches it in for a touchdown. It seemed to completely baffle Tampa Bay that he comes in and runs that ball because they weren't expecting it. Decker was able to block two guys by himself. It was really impressive. It actually allowed our seeker to get upfield and make the block in the end zone. Um, PAT was good and the Lions lead by seven. And then Tampa come out for their eighth possession. Great pass breakup by Iffy on Mike Evans, who was actually called for holding earlier in the rep, but he didn't give up the bigger amount of yards. First down and 10, and Baker gets out of a sack and throws an amazing ball to Kade on who toe taps for 13 yards. One of the plays of the game for me. Another on-time throw to Otten for 27 yards down to the 12. Mayfield just gets out of a sack again and manages to throw the ball away. On third down and 10, a check down to White for a running back screen for a touchdown. He goes into block and then releases into the screen and Lions have no answer for that. And it was said in the live chat a bit earlier that 
if we're giving that up to Rashad White, you've got to watch out for San Francisco because they're going to bring plenty of that if they see that we can't defend it. Uh, PAT is good. 17-17 ball game. Ash, we're tied up again come the end of the third quarter. And they had all the momentum coming out of a half and we nullified that. We then get back in front again. We had the Brock Wright play. We had the branch tackle for a loss. Uh, we had the iffy play for the pass breakup, which I'm giving him credit for despite the hold earlier on. But then, you know, those throws to Kader on by Mayfield gets out two sacks on that drive and then the, the touchdown itself. There's a feeling of of dominating and not seeing the reward of it on our part. Maybe, yeah. Only thing I really want to say about their scoring drive, he didn't get out of that second sack. He was down. His, car, his leg was down and we should have challenged it. But alas, Dan Campbell is buying into Ant's theory. And I believe it's a theory that Dan Pascas also picks up. I've seen him say the same. The first time Dan Campbell wins a challenge as Detroit Outlines head coach is to win us the Super Bowl. Because if he challenged that, he probably would have had it overturned. And then maybe it pushes them back. Maybe it puts them into a third and even longer and still give up that play because it's the perfect play call against us. They know third and long, we're going to bring some form of pressure and obviously throwing the screen into that is basically the perfect play call. And as much as Rashad White's maligned, he's a shifty guy coming out of college. There's the reason that Rye and believed that he was a steal for the Bucks last year in the draft because he was underrated as a Arizona State Sun Devil. Like he really went under the radar. So I'm not too mad about it. It's just a perfect play call against our play call. Nothing we could really do, but <laughs> just. The fourth and one, we said it at the time, maybe we brought in uh, Craig because of the pass protection, even though viewers of our clips will know that Craig is actually our worst pass protector somehow in terms of our running backs. We say that actually Gibbs with his amazing pick, blitz pickup we said earlier, really damn good. And then Monty doing his best, but obviously just gets to uh, the defensive tackle a bit too late because Glasgow's already got there and he gets himself that chop block penalty. It's partly because of that and partly because with Gibson, they know it's probably going to be a pass. Monty and they know we're going to try and run it. With Craig Reynolds in, what the fuck are they doing? They don't know. They're going to pass it. Are they going to throw it? It's that little element of because you don't have game tape on him, which is stupid for the actually against the Bucks because the game that Reynolds got most of his carries in was against the Bucks. So you'd think they know what he's doing, but alas, we just have the perfect play call for them on that four for one. And yeah, it's just perfect. As much as you, I know you called for a lot of Dan Skipper, the use of his one snap in this game was a pretty damn good use with that fourth and one. The only time we saw him and it worked. So fair play. Maybe it's next week against that elite uh, 49ers D-line with not a good secondary. Maybe we see a lot of Dan Skipper then. Maybe we finally get the Dan Skipper seam pass for 50 yards and a touchdown. So, coming into the fourth quarter and the Lions have the ball, uh, Goff play action, check down to Gibbs for 12 yards, and then goes empty with a pass to Josh Reynolds over the middle for 18 yards down to the 39. Gibbs runs for seven, sets up a second and two, second and three, and Gibbs runs for 31 yards for a touchdown. Great blocking up front, fantastically schemed play to create the gap. And then Gibbs has got Winfield one-on-one, just a little sidestep and kind of jet off from the centre field, aiming to go to the corner, and he beats him there. PAT's good. 
and the Lions are up by seven once again. And then Tampa Bay go three and out. Third and ten throw to White. You can only get six and they have to punt. So the Lions take over with a chance to go two scores in front in the fourth quarter. And they do play action pass over the middle to Monty for 11. And then another play action pass as he was getting hit to Jameson Williams on the near sideline for 24 yards. Lovely rep by Jameson Williams there. Uh, and then a Goff coverage sack by Levante David. So and coverage is fantastic. Levante David comes on a delayed blitz. Beats Monty, all ends up in pass protection, ends up on, with third and 15 as a result. But the Lions know what to do in this situation. Fantastic throw to Amon Rasen Brown for 14 and a half yards. He ends up coming back one and a half yards in contact, keeps his feet and manages to get forward. Inch perfect for 15 yards to convert. Great second effort there. Then a timing throw over the middle to Jameer Gibbs for 20 yards versus Zion McCollum. He just beat him with a little shake and bake. Really nice stuff. First down and goal from the nine and a pick play timing route to Amon St. Brown on the far sideline for a touchdown. It was similar to a play we've seen a few times between Goff and Amon St. Brown. The timing was perfect. Josh Reynolds were running a legitimate route, so route, route, whatever. So even though it's a pick, he's only really kind of slightly in the way. He doesn't even really make contact. It just disrupts the defensive play. And the PAT is good. The Lions are up by 14, 31 to 17. Bucks take over with six and a half minutes to go. And Kaminsky with a really nice tip at the line. Baker then sacked by Jalen Reeves, maybe an iffy. So iffy coming on a safety blitz. He's a, a free rusher. Manages to get hands on Baker, but actually doesn't finish the play. But he gets himself up off the floor and comes straight back at Baker and hits him at the same time. As Jalen Reeves, maybe been really nice rep by both players. Third and 14 goes incomplete. Because of the situation and how far they are down, even deep in their own territory, it's fourth and 14 and they've got to go. And the Lions bring six on this play and it's really well blocked up. Baker just escapes upfield in the pocket for a couple of yards and manages to throw on the run to Mike Evans, who was on a double move crossing from left to right, who beat his cover at all ends up, who I think was Cam Sutton. Uh, then Baker... To Evans for a touchdown from 16 yards out. Mike Evans just ran one yard deep into the end zone and boxed out uh, Cam Sutton. Is there anything Mike Evans can't do? Catchable when you need to, but never mind. Um, win, a, win a playoff game at Ford Field. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this situation, down eight, the analytics say to go for two because if you miss it, you can go for two for the tie. If you get it, you just need a touchdown to win. And uh, they throw a little fade to Evans against Ifatu Malafonu in coverage. And it's one of those plays where if a flag is thrown, I would not be surprised because Ifatu does not get his head around. But because Evans backpedals, he also doesn't really make a huge amount of contact and doesn't affect Evans' ability to go and get the ball. If Evans comes back towards the ball, it's a surefire defensive pass interference. But as it was, it was good coverage in the end, fortunately. If, if he gets his head around, then there's never going to be DPI, but he just didn't get it done. He was slightly early. So if you hear outcries of it should have been DPI, how things have changed and they see a mock-up of the Lions-Dallas game from 2014 and this one, oh, I do yeah. I do get it. 
Like it's not dissimilar. It's not quite as as bad. Yeah. It's not in the it's... same realm, but it's it's a similar play. See, I think he does. So I, when I was watching it live, you could see him just just as the ball's about to get there, you see his head go from like that to that. That's enough. That's enough to get it. I think because you can see him. Oh, sensing the ball coming, he's looking like he's going to make a play. Obviously, yes, he's trying to box Evans out, and Evans doesn't mm. be just gets his head around. Unlike that play that's been mentioned where you can quite clearly see the Dallas linebacker whose name begins with H just not going for the ball at all. It's one of them. I had the reason I'm so passionate about this because I had this argument on Twitter yesterday because you know, I'm like, I see one thing I don't disagree with. I can't let go. I'm like a dog. So, yes, yes, you are. Uh, the Lions take over with 437 to go in the ball game up by eight then. And the Lions throw a lovely play. Amon Russell Brown on a wide receiver screen for 15 yards and managed to stay in bound. Then Monty goes up the middle for 11 yards, swiftly getting into Tampa Bay territory. But this is where the Lions offense just fell to pieces, just for a, just for a half a drive. And that's all it takes to give Tampa Bay another chance. Firstly, we go play action in this situation, which just doesn't feel smart, and we end up getting sacked. So Goff actually gets followed. He ends up trying to just run back into the pocket and not give up a, a fumble and kind of covers up. It's a smart heads-up play by Goff in that circumstance. Uh, then we have... Uh, oh, hands to the face penalty actually ended up nullifying that sack. But then we go run for not very much. Play action pass for a loss with Monty on a running back screen getting blown up about five yards deep. And then on third and 11, throw incomplete. We end up punting from the Tampa Bay 45 yards, uh, 45 yard line to their 10. Final drive of the game, Tampa Bay need eight to tie. There is 1.59 left in the game and they have a couple of timeouts. Second and five, we come on a blitz. And a hurried throw to Cade Otten is intercepted by Derek Barnes. Great feeling by Derek Barnes and tracking a snag because Otten is behind Barnes. He's in zone, just reading Baker's eyes. And he ends up coming, takes a step to the left as he sees it. And then he sees Baker coming to the other side, ends up pushing to the right. And it's a fantastic catch by Derek. I mean, that's no gimme. At full stretch, two hands to it, snags it, gets down. And despite Tampa Bay being able to stop the clock with their remaining timeout and maybe have about 10 seconds left in the ball game, the Lions are, of course, in field goal range. They would have gone up by 11 with 10 seconds left. And um, Tampa Bay decide that discretion is the better part of valor and fool on their sword and don't call that timeout, which I think is an interesting decision. I would say that. It's almost respectful. Like, yeah. this, we believe this game is done and we will shake your hand sort of behaviour. So I, I was heartened that's by that. Basically what Bowl said when he was asked about it. Pretty much verbatim, well, verbatim, so... Oh, cool. I, I didn't watch it, so I'm glad I'm glad that I read that properly. Uh, but the Lions end up winning 31-23. to 23. Ash, that fourth quarter was... Fun. I mean, the Lions go back-to-back -to -back touchdowns to go up 14. We give one up. Sutton is not his best drive in the world, but Evans, when he's in that mood, is going to be hard to deal with for anyone. We then have half a good drive and half a bad drive, and then the pick by Barnes was fantastic. What do you make of it? Well, the feeling they had in that fourth quarter is, only, is, only, is just, just a tad bit 
less than the feeling I have right now seeing Steve on my screen coming to join us. Great. Prepare, like... prepare to be disappointed. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I've got some bad things to say about the play calling, especially as we say with that half drive where we fell apart, but the Gibbs just seeing the turnaround on Twitter from halfway through this year is like the Lions wasted their 12th overall pick on Jimmy Gibbs to pretty much everyone saying this is why the Lions picked Jamar uh, drop. Jamal took 12th overall. The speed I, I mean, to beat Winfield to the corner. I mean, this is the moment where all of that positional value of running backs just means nothing, does it? Because he's just a game winner. Like, Gibbs was a game winner. Yeah, 100%. Like, so much we love Monty, Gibbs won us this game. And so did Barnes. Another one where, bit blind, bit of a late bloomer. But just the play he made, like if you told me that was Anzalone making that play or Branch, I would I would have believed you. That is that's just a really good game of this play from Barnes and for him to he was a bit maligned again, maybe lost his job because drafted Campbell. He staked his claim to get a few more snaps again. Steve, we've just kind of covered the sort of drive summary all the way through and we've taken high level takes. Yes, your your pick and sound is absolutely fine, although your your typing is fairly loud through the microphone, I will say. <laughs> Never mind. What did you what did you make of the game overall? Um I thought it was a game that we we managed to control the drama a lot better than we have done on previous big games. Um it kind of felt we we had a semblance of control as much as like this team ever has a semblance of control. Um, I was surprised at how good Baker was. Um, I know he threw two picks, but overall, I mean, the guy's got a great arm. That that couple of catches that Evans made, absolute missiles. Um, but I think I think I was just really pleased the fact that. We played well on both sides of the ball, even if we didn't play as, as well as we have done. We, I don't think we got to our heights on offence, and I don't think we got to the heights we played on defence, but I thought we averaged out pretty good on both sides of the ball. That's the highest praise I think I've heard you give all year, potentially. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. I'm not that much of a curmudgeon. I, I mean, I, I would say it was definitely one of Aaron Glenn's better games. Yeah. I think Glenn's had a terrific month. I feel like when pushes come to shove recently that his his defences have either been getting takeaways or turnovers, which has offset some yards he's given up, or they've just played better generally. I don't know whether the PFF stats overall on defence will back it up from the last four games compared to the last two and a half, three months, but it, it really feels like the defence has stepped up when it's needed to. And, uh, you know, and I know I've, I've been critical of some individual players on our defence, but, you know, like, and, you know, say, for example, Cam Sutton did get burned a couple of times, but he also, you know, was great in coverage at times. Um, it kind of feels that our, our defence, it's, it's just got that imperfect edge running through it that we're always going to give up the odd big play. But I thought overall we did, we did pretty well. Um, and as, as Ash just alluded to, I think it was some of the play calling um, was frustrating, but you know, th this is why you have people like 
Amonwell, Sam Brown and Jameer Gibbs on the roster because they can make game-winning plays on offense. They can make apps, you know, absolutely amazing plays just when we need it. And that's that's what we had. Probably my biggest surprise because we know about Gibbs, we know about St. Brown, we know about Hutch. Derek Barnes, hello. <laughs> wasn't it um, you know, wasn't it amazing that Derek Barnes, who is a guy who, you know, has been on the bubble of the team for a, a long time and has and I think a lot of people thought when Jack Campbell was drafted, that was kind of the end of Derek Barnes, or maybe that's the end of Derek Barnes as a first choice rotation player. But Derek Barnes is still starting and he showed exactly why. What a pick from a linebacker who's not renowned for, you know, for his hands. And I will say, Ash, that I admire his backbone because he's had ups and downs. He had a really good start to the year. We heard, you know, through the preseason process that he looked like a completely different player. And that really bore out at the start of the season. But in this game, I don't think it's unfair to say he was having an absolute shocker because... For my money, a lot of the runs that Rashad White was getting throughout the game were assignments that he was potentially missing. And to have a bad game and have enough about yourself to make that sort of instinctual play when the when the receiver is behind you and still feel about where that ball is going to go and react to it and then snag it. I mean, I said before, but Baker throws bullets. There's a reason why I compare Baker to Matthew Stafford because they're both absolute warriors and they both can absolutely gun it. And it was traveling at a rate of knots to catch that ball was spectacular. And it just shows how resilient he is. Yeah, it really does. Like, And it's a microcosm of his entire career with us. Like, you've got to remember, this is a guy who start of last season being played and then got benched. Literally got part in special teams. He got the Jerry uh, Jerry Jacobs treatment. And for him to bounce back, he's to say, like, yeah, he was having a bit of a shocker. He did make a couple of plays. He was there, like, on some good run stops. So, obviously, basically tackles, close line scrimmage. But, yeah, he was also giving up stuff because it was, like, the linebacker, like, defensive line was doing what he could against that D-line. It just needed the linebackers to hold their run fits. And yeah, Barnes wasn't at that sort of will position that he was mostly being played at. But then he bounces back. That's the good thing about this defense is we've seen it the past couple of weeks. So to bring up his last really big mess of the play, the Dallas one, where he misses the the sack. That press and then, goal, yeah, the safety. Yeah, to, yeah. the safety. Nine, yeah, and then, nine points that was that, that yeah. he gave up. And I mean, how many times have we seen players make that kind of blunder and then just like hide. Yeah. Not Barnes. Not Barnes. He's done it twice now because he obviously did it in Dallas and he's done it this week. Vildor's done it. This one of it's maybe going a bit underrated the fact that, that finally that sort of resilience that we've had on the offense is transferred to the defense. You make a bad play. Well, I'm gonna, now going to go out and make up for it. And Barnes has done it twice. Vildor's done it a couple of times. Branch so makes a good couple of good plays. Obviously messes up on that run blitz. And keeps out coming and making plays. He gets a sack like a couple of plays later. Just this is, is one of the reasons why. And I hate keep put, uh, having this point over the head, and especially with this uh, with today with my top candidate to replace AG going to the Jags of all places. But AG will probably make a better head coach than he's the coordinator because he can do that stuff. He's a leader of men rather than a schemer. And so whoever gets him in this year, next year as head coach, he's probably going to get a damn good one. 
don't probably trust him to call the defensive plays, get someone in to do that for him, but someone who can just motivate people to come back from bad stuff. Because we've got a member, he did it with Jeff Akuda as well. Like, Kuda didn't work out, but still, he was at least able to keep the morale going with Jeff, who's been put here, there, and everywhere by the Patricia uh, regime and all the injuries. Still got him to play relatively well. Like, mem- like he will- we always remember, well, we're trying to always remember Jeff's game against Dallas last year, where he just bombed out of his mind. The fact that AG was able to get that out of someone as broken and beaten as Jeff Akuda against that other team. There's got to be something there in terms of the leadership. It's just... Or, or when he when he picked Justin Fields for pick six. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just boom. He gets the moments of magic that other people who have managed teams that I know have been calling for. And I'm going to move over to offence. You said that maybe you don't think the, the play calling was, was fantastic, but I thought the scheme was on point in this game. I thought that what they were doing... Uh, on the offensive line was absolutely fantastic. I don't know what the blitz rate was, but I think it was upwards of 50%, maybe 55, 56%. But I was having a look at the under pressure versus kept clean percentage, and he was under pressure on 27% of his dropbacks, and he was blitzed more than double that. It's 50 50. So, yeah, according to PFF, it's literally 50 50, 23 okay. dropbacks. And then, yeah, as you say, he was under pressure only on 13 of them. Yeah, so pretty damn good. Exactly. So the offensive line facing more defenders than there are offensive linemen kept Goff relatively clean. Goff was getting the ball out in two and a half seconds on average, which was really hampering the Tampa Bay blitz package, which they were bringing. And we were running a huge amount of play action. I mean, I don't think I've seen us run as much play action, but it felt like almost everything, apart from when we were running empty set, was running through play action. And I was reading a, a forum I'm a member of on the NFL thread, and the line basically was, it feels like whenever the Lions need it, Goff can just toss it five yards beyond the lines again, where Amon Ra, Sam Laporta, or Josh Reynolds are just three yards free. And it feels like that has been the Lions' recipe all year. But when you have excellent route runners and an offensive line that can give you enough time... There's almost no better quarterback than Jared Goff for that situation, and it showed. Yeah, so case in point of that, Josh Reynolds touchdown. So I know it was mentioned in the chat room of me and live. The fact that we had, I believe it's Craig Reynolds lined up at outside receiver, gets Reynolds that separation at the back of the end zone because suddenly their corner, I think it was at that point, it was... Um, McCollum had to go wide to cover Reynolds, which pulled a safety down to cover, I believe it was um, Jamo. Oh, okay. I was out, it was, it might have been Amon Rock. I remember basically whoever's lined up in the left hand slot position at right receiver. Oh, was that was Jamo. Yeah. See, it was Jamo, yes. And it was meant it single high at the back. And all Reynolds had to do was find that little pocket in front of that safety. And he did it. Just those little play calling, but surprising him. Look at the, because obviously he got it up for the blitzing. We were actually, well, Goff was worse on play action than he was without play action. So on the 15 dropbacks that Goff had with play action, so that's about 32% of Goff 33, completely missing, completed 12 or 14 passes, but that was for a a 41.2 offensive grade, 43.1. Maybe that skewed a bit by obviously the play action, the sack he took on the play action that was uh, wiped out by the slaps to the face that Josh Reynolds got. But on not play action to the other 67%, he completed 18 to 29 
for a 79.5 offensive grade, 76.9 passing grade. So Goff, as good as he's going to play action this week, it didn't really work. And oh. maybe that's because the um, special Levante David, he's they're just so good against that play action, they don't bite on it because he's got that veteran stuff. So maybe that was part of it. So the play coin for me, yeah, there was moments where it was absolutely brilliant, but there were other moments where it was just, what the fuck is going on? So obviously the first drive going pass, pass, pass. Not the fan of that. Obviously the half a drive that fell apart towards the end of the game where we just sort of get it just, there were just little moments where it just, it just seemed to go off for a bit and it led to like drive slowing out. So I think it was going into the half we had five drives. We had two free and outs. And we punted another time and we only crossed the fifth death into the 50 twice. Admittedly, on both those, we scored points. We got the field gone, the touchdown. But on five drives, to only cross the 50 twice is a bit concerning, especially from an offensive class that's supposed to be this all firing thing that can do everything. The fact it didn't for a bit was a bit concerning. But obviously, when push came to shove, we, the chips were down. We got the plays we needed to. I guess, Steve, where I'm going with this really is that Jared Goff suffered two sacks for 10 yards and Baker Mayfield suffered four sacks for 30 yards. And it's not like our defensive line has exactly got this stellar reputation compared to this Tampa Bay defence that has reputation of being fearsome in terms of who's calling the plays and who's scheming them up, but also who's on that line in terms of Vita Vare and Kalija Kansi and others. And that we just, if you have a look at that, I feel like we deserve to win this game. Yeah, and I mean, um, Glasgow did such a good job in, in the interior despite being banged up, I think, two different injuries. Um, and also, let's remember, Jonah Jackson was out for two-thirds of this game. Um, so you probably I mean, think... You mean Frank Rapnow rather than Graham Glasgow? Uh, yeah, both, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. both. Um, mm. But yeah, no... Obviously, Ragnar was injured, but Glasgow, I mean, you know, I mean, let's not forget 12 months ago, we were thinking, is he going to be a good replacement for Vitae? And yeah. look at his performance. Uh, Ragnar, absolutely immense in the centre, like I said, despite two injuries. Um, so I, th- I think the O-line did a good job. D- this is This is not going to be based on any statistics. This is just my gut feel based on the fact I've not re-watched the game. So I've only seen the game once. My perception of the game was that we just did not run the ball enough in the first two-thirds of the game. We threw too much, and we all know that Goff is at his best when we establish the run, we're given the protection and a clean pocket, and then he rips the defence apart because the run's been established, people are looking out for the run, and then Goff all of a sudden has got l- multiple options and starts spreading it around amongst our receivers. And it didn't feel like that was happening. Um, it felt like we didn't get into the run game quick enough. Um, but then for some reason, it ca- you know fourth quarter, it was back. I think that was the game plan. For me, I think maybe they didn't get into it early enough, but I think they were like... We think this blitzing team is going to come at us hard. If we run too early, we'll find ourselves behind the sticks and we'll be punting away because we can't get it in the run game. And now we're under pressure and we have to pass. Whereas if we pass, we can get out that pressure quickly. And now suddenly when they're a little bit tired, now we can run it down their throats, which 
kind of happened. I mean, Monty it, got it seems on, very know. risky. Like you know, to let's not play to our strengths for the f- first three quarters of the game. Lull it into a full sense of security and then play to our strengths. I would say that passing the ball is our strength rather than the run game, though. But I, I think I, I, passing passing the yeah. ball once we've established a run game is our strength. Like and just, yeah, against just, the Rams, we came p- out passing too, though, and that worked. I don't know. I, I buy what you're saying because like you really the the identity of the team is that we're a running team, but we're, really when you have a look at how we win, Gibbs has been used sparingly, and Monty's taken over in some games, but actually he's been up and down through the year. We haven't Monty was quiet. Been, yeah, and he has been quiet for a while. Mm-hmm. And and it, and they chose Reynolds to punch the touchline in in the in the red zone, which is just great, isn't it's, it? It was because of the package. It's just because he was in on the package, I think. That's what Dan said yesterday. But hopefully we'll elaborate in about 15 minutes. But, yeah, so, I mean, our receivers came up tr- absolute trumps because Goff was slinging missiles. Um, and we saw a few drops from the Buccaneers receivers. Um, but Laporta has got such a safe pair of hands. Obviously, Reynolds for the touchdown. All of a sudden, he's got, like, five, six yards of separation. Um, and, and I, I love the Brock Wright play. Absolutely love that. Yeah, him going down with the the broken arm is just a awful, awful thing. What do you think when about did that? Happen when? When did that? I, I, I didn't see the play on that happened on. No, I didn't either. Unfortunately, Ash is thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, I think I remember. Bloop, 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 does not give you. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that yeah, that was a brilliant, uh, a lovely play that to Brock Wright. And um, as someone said, his his duke was so slow that he actually sent the the, the cornerback the wrong way. I I am one of Brock Wright's biggest fans. I I really must be because it. I was just saying to Ash earlier on. It feels like the Lions wait for him to be forgotten on the field and then activate him. And he seems to just break for these big runs, these meaningful plays. Is, is there a better tight end two in the league? I can't think of one. I mean, I, I can't think of many tight end twos. Dawson Knox, maybe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or um, uh, Tucker Craft has come into his own in the second half of this season. Give me Brock Wright any day. Fair. I'm here for it. I'm looking for and Sykes replaces him, Steve, on the Lions yeah. practice squad. I just saw that on Twitter just before I logged on. What do you think about that? I mean, proven talent, great player. It, has he still got, you know, got a bit of juice left in the tank? I, I'm sure they'll be evaluating the shit out of him this week. Hopefully he can bring some back some Gronk-esque playoff heroics because, I mean, Gronk looks done the last couple of years of his career and yet when push came to shove, he managed to turn it on. So I'm I'm hopeful but maybe not expectant on, on that signing. When did Zuckert's last take a snap? October. He went on IR and then he was waived with an injury designation, I think, four weeks later because he didn't want to come back and play for Arizona because their season was done. Yeah, it okay. was week seven against Seattle. Yeah. Okay. He only had like 150 yards on the year or something, or 200 yards. It wasn't exactly much. Um, 
but then they didn't have Kyler Murray, so they were they were rolling with well, it would have been the now Vikings quarterback, um, Joshua Dobbs. That's the one. Thank you very much. Um, come to part of the show where we talk about handing out some cigars and subpars, although I, I don't want to do any subpars really because it doesn't feel appropriate. But anyone that you want to shout out in particular, we've done it already a bit, but but let's do it again for the fun of it. I mean, so many. Um, probably on offense right now. Um, just because, I mean, going up against Vita Vea constantly um, must be just punishing, particularly when you're carrying a couple of injuries. So I thought Ragnar had a great game. I thought Goff had a really tight, controlled game. Um, I thought St. Brown absolutely clutch. Um, and then on defence, I mean, you've got to... Uh, I, I thought Brian Branch looked at a, a danger the whole time. Um, Melifonu again. Um but I mean, you've got to give it to, to Barnes because that was just such an amazing play. And like I said, th this is a guy that's just been, you know, really drifting in his career for for a bit with us. And certainly, you know, has made some mistakes and hasn't been great and has then come back and then still made mistakes, but absolutely clutch. That, that was a superb end to the game. Ash? Decker, that got like Decker and Jackson. So that left hand side of the line, like Jackson before he went out, hadn't given up a pressure. Real bounce back game for him because he's kind of been this second half of the season he hasn't been great. Like maybe it's the whole contract stuff weighing on his mind. I don't know, but he hasn't been great. He had a really good game before he unfortunately went out. And then Decker, someone who still gets all the headlines, deservedly so. He's an absolute fucking beast. But Decker has been quietly consistent, and he had a real damn good game. Like, according to PFF grades here, ninety-three run blocking grade for someone who seems like a technical left tackle, good in the pass pro, okay at run blocking, but it's not a speciality for him to come out and have that good of a grade. Like, just what was the what was the O line's PFF grades? What were so Saul Saul top ninety-four point one with a ninety-seven point five run blocking grade. Almost perfect and an 80.5 pass block. Decker, 93.6, 91 pass block, 93 run block. Jackson, 86.1 overall, 84.7 pass block, 81.5 run blocking. Ragnall, 79.9 overall, 49.3 pass block, 90.3 run blocking. Then um, Glasgow's way down there, unfortunately. 50.8 overall, 31.7 pass, blo uh, pass block, 57.7 run block. And then right at the bottom of the offense, unfortunately, Kouadia Ashika, 48.4 overall, 32.9 pass block, 54.4 run block. It's pretty damn good for four-fifths of the O-line. Yeah. Yeah. So... Did you shout out your players, Ash? I, I completely blanked. Oh, so did, I was I did um, Decker, and then on yeah. uh, defense, I'm obviously I'm sad for you that you had if it, if he's stolen that is your guy, Matt. But I'm gonna say my guy, Germ. What a dude! Just consistently showing out on these package plays on defense. We all know what he can do on special teams, but again, ninety point six overall um, PFF grade, 
78 tackling, 76.3 pass rush, 85.3 coverage. The dude has gone from, he's turning this sort of third down package role into his own. Like, obviously, we signed him again for, say, the special team stuff, but he's slowly earning that way to being a consistent rotational piece on the defense, which at his price point and where he's in his career, maybe that's the best you can get for him. But if he can keep doing this, being that consistent top five special team in the league with value on defense, what more can you ask from the guy? And, and you really felt the energy when he was on the field taking snaps. Yeah. Like, he really brought it. He really did, yeah. Got this grit mentality. Yeah. It's no surprise, I think, for me on offense that I'm going to go for Josh Reynolds, given how much I've talked him up. The thing is that he goes unnoticed as wide receiver 2-3 with JMO, and he's just up there with Amon Ra in terms of reliability. He rarely drops a ball. His route running is fantastic and he gets good yak. He's not really regarded as a yak guy, but he manages to turn up field and get some extra yards every single time. So when you need a, a you know a, a safety blanket, he's there. I just think he's absolutely priceless to this team in his position. And if he can return on a on a reasonable deal, I would be absolutely delighted because he he means a lot to this team, especially in the playoffs when it's mattered most. I thought he's turned up. On defense, I know you, you were saying, oh, Melophon Wu, not a great grade. I'm still going for him. <laughs> I'm still going for him. 52.6 overall grade by PFF. I don't give a shit. Two you sacks on the day, or one and a half sacks on the day. He had a pass breakup, which isn't credited because he gave away a hold earlier on that actually limited the damage. So, you know, it was a heads-up smart play that actually got negatively graded, given what happened. He was a little bit questionable in terms of the run fits, which is the first time we've actually seen that. But he looks unblockable when he comes down on blitzes. It really makes a massive difference. This is where I think the PFF grading system is a little bit off, that you can't grade people highly for making game-changing plays. But when he comes down on those sacks, he ends possessions. Like, if, if Artie Melifonwu, whether he's picking someone off or sacking the quarterback, ends plays, and he give up, gives up 10 yards on the ground a couple of times and then ends the drive, he's going to come out with a bad grade, but he'll be the reason why we've got the ball back. So I'm not buying any stock in PFF in terms of if Arsene Melifon was great for this week. What I am doing is I'm saying he's my guy. And I've, I hitched my wagon to him earlier on this season in limited reps. And he is taking the most snaps of any safety on the team by far, by far. Outdoing Kirby, outdoing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson when they're fit. He's put Tracy Walker on the bench and he's absolutely backing us up. And I think he'll be have a massive part to play next week. So not even on not even on the bench. He's in street clothes. That's what I'm sorry. On the yeah, that's what I mean. I know right. this is it happened yesterday. It's yeah. it yesterday. but at the same time, you called it yesterday. What did you say at the end of the stream? Can't wait to see female Fon who's 55 PFF grade. I did. I said it. it. <laughs> You called it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right, people, after we've handed out those, it's time to talk about the rest of the games in the playoffs this week. And we'll start from front to back. So, Baltimore come out on top 34-10 against Houston in a game which remained competitive until the fourth quarter, boys. I don't know if you caught much of that one. But I think 
people were a lot more hopeful that CJ Stroud would be able to deliver against that defense, but they look bloody good on defense. And, you know, while Lamar wasn't setting the world alight for three quarters, they still ended up scoring 34 points. Kyle Hamilton, man. Oof. So good. Told you. Told you. Should have he did. There's a reason that I, I liked him at number two overall. <laughs> Me and Ant did. <sighs> the one good thing I can take away from Houston, and of course, this is such it's going to be such a me take. You can see why they've got the number one special teams in the league. Admittedly, because number one, all their points came from special teams with a field goal and a punt return touchdown, but damn, they that they're us down south. You can see especially through special teams. They play hard. Yeah, they got smashed kind of like what he did, but they didn't really give up. They still tried to play to the end. Obviously, it didn't go their way. They didn't score in the second half, but I, I loved, I love the Texans. I love the Texans. They're they're my AFC team now. Consistent. Imagine if if we'd have got in the playoffs last season. Imagine if Seattle had to win a game, or I, I can't remember. But yeah, imagine if we'd have got in. I think the, the Texans were what we would have been in the playoffs yeah. last year if we'd have made it. If that makes, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, I feel that like comparison you, very much. You can see there still one two seasons away from really competing but my god do they flash all right moving on to the next game uh and actually why has the order changed that was the early one wasn't it and then it was green bay san francisco so san francisco 24 green bay 21 in a game boys where i think the lions and a bit of a preview to thursday i think the lions should feel hopeful because this is a green bay team that's gotten a bit hot but they didn't set the world alight in this game. I don't think Green Bay did. And yet they should have won this game, arguably. I mean, we could be talking about the NFC Championship game being at Ford Field because really, Brock Purdy should have been picked a couple of times, didn't look like he was really on it. Jordan Love kind of threw the ball, threw the game away a little bit. McCaffrey was always going to be himself and Kittle had a good day, but... Green Bay were fantastic on the ground. Aaron Jones over 100 yards. Uh, they ended up fumbling the ball twice, and they didn't lose it either time either. But I was just something about it where in key moments, San Francisco came out in the, the better side of it. And I don't necessarily think that was a fair representation of the game. I mean, in the, third, in the fourth quarter, I think there's seven minutes left in the game, and the Packers are up, and they've got the ball on the Niners' like 30-yard line. And, you know, it all just went pear-shaped. But the Niners look very beatable. Like, they really do. Um, so the think... point you're referencing, by the way, first and five at the San Francisco 32, up four, with eight and a half minutes to go, Green Bay 82.5% to win the game. Yeah. I mean, that that was it, wasn't it? That's, that's where it fell apart. Um, and I think Debo is 50-50 with a shoulder injury. Yeah. Um, and the Niners look at their most vulnerable when Debo's not on the field, and they have done this season. Yeah, it's their entire scheme is predicated, kind of like how ours is kind of predicated around Amon Ross St. Brown. It's predicated with Debo on the play action on what some people I watch call the double Debo's with him and Ayuk as sort of deep post-crossing routes. That's their entire play action game. With Debo out, they're kind of weak. 
So him being out, I expect him to grit it out, kind of like how Ragnar is, because this is a big game. Then he's got two weeks basically to rest up. But yeah, they look beatable. Or like best thing for me is Green Bay special team strikes again. What's it with them and kicking field goals in high pressure situations? They just can't do it. Mason Crosby will forever haunt them, hopefully. And then the final game, Kansas City at Buffalo, and Buffalo somehow managed to lose this game. They were up early, and then it became a bit of a seesaw battle through until it became 27-24 to Kansas City with almost the entire fourth quarter left. And we went, Buffalo went for a fake punt on their own 30-yard line, which didn't work. Kansas City fumbled the ball through the end zone from the one-yard line to give the ball back to Buffalo and give themselves a chance. They went three and out. Kansas City ended up punting after a five-play, eight-yard drive. And then Buffalo ended up missing a field goal to tie the game with 147 left. And I mean, to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes' tie ball game with 130 left is not exactly a recipe for victory. But boys, Tyler Bass is not going to be having the best of times right now. Apparently he's deleted his social media. It's not personal. So I don't know why fans would make it personal, but they're just hurting, I guess. But it feels like Buffalo are just never going to get this done, Steve. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like there is a increasingly small window for Josh Allen um, and McDermott and this kind of iteration of the team. Is Diggs going to be there next season? Um, you know, I mean... They have been really banged up with injuries. Obviously, like they lost Matt Milano really early in the season. Um, but yeah, look at some of the, the players. Jordan Poirier, is Von Miller still going to be there? Um, it kind of feels like they had their chance. And I mean, the, the Bills have had plenty of chances. Um, I have to say, like I'm, I'm starting to get a bit bored of the Bills Chiefs rivalry. Um, I know there's been some good games, but like. I think who, whoever won this game are going to get minced by the Ravens. Hmm. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just think the Ravens are too strong on defense. I, I don't think, I, I don't think the Chiefs' offense um, has been, you know, good enough for a long, long stretch of this season. They, you know, Mahomes always seems to pull out. Things, but you know they they need a consistent wide receiver one, and they, you know, I think MVS had a good game, but over the course of the season, they've really suffered with their receiving core, and 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 again with the Bills, Diggs has been very quiet the last few weeks. Mm. There's obviously and they lost Gabe Davis, so I I don't think either of these teams would have been able to put points on the board for the Ravens. I I will say I don't think the Ravens' offense looks that good, even though Lamar's playing like better than usual in the playoffs. I can't decide if the Lions do get through who I want to win in the AFC. Because... Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd want to play the Chiefs again every time. I feel like Lamar will just tell us uh, tear us a new one. We still haven't figured out how to play Russian quarterbacks, but Mahomes can do that too. And... Their de- both both teams on defense have been fantastic. Kansas City's a top five defense that uh, have been all season, and Baltimore are a top two defense, and arguably they're not second anymore after the Browns kind of melted in the playoffs. So 
You know, it's it's going to be a really interesting matchup. And yeah, the the Chiefs' offense hasn't been up to much, and yet Pacheco has still been fantastic. Kelsey has had a really down year, but he's still a massive threat. And Rasheed Rice is one of the stories of the year. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. So while their offense hasn't been up to their standards, they've still got three guys who are absolute weapons, apart from Mahomes. Yeah, and, and I think on, on defense, Chris Jones has just got better as the season has gone on. And, um, I mean, Lejarius Sneed is just a monster. Um, you know, I mean, he, he shut Diggs out. He shut Tyreek Hill out a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's having some season. Yeah. Can you believe we're here? Like, genuinely, genuinely. I, I, I'm still kind of pinching myself about this because it, it's felt during my fandom since 2002. 10, 11, that football was just this fun thing where my team play until mid-December and then we enjoy and sit back as a neutral for the rest of the season and that's been my life for 15 years and I've been okay with that almost, like in some sort of horrible way I accepted and then almost slightly embraced going into the playoffs knowing I was just going to enjoy it and suddenly, holy shit we're here I was I turned on the TV this morning and um, I think it was Good Morning Football and they're like we're down to four, just Baltimore and Kansas City and San Francisco and Detroit. <laughs> well, I mean that's what I that's how I was thinking. I was like, we're we're one of the last four. Like that's amazing um, because I think you forget how hard it is in this league. Um, like. I don't know about you, but I still can't help but making like soccer comparisons. So getting to an FA Cup semi-final doesn't seem like that hard, does it? I mean, you know, it's it's an achievement, but it's whereas I think getting to a, a you know conference championship is so much harder, even though effectively it is still like the semi-final. Um, so I'm kind of thinking. You know, we're in the semis, we're in with a shout, but it's such an achievement to get through that whole 17-game season and then through the playoffs and the seeding process. Um, and when you look at the teams that, you know, whose seasons are, are long finished, you just think, wow. Because think about the, the two teams that we've just beaten. The Rams and the Bucks have both won Super, Bowl, Super Bowls in the last few seasons. Like we've just beaten two recent Super Bowl winners. We've not we've not beaten two teams that, you know, small fry have come out of nowhere. We've beaten two teams who've been on who've done it on the biggest stage in very you know short memory. And that's a massive achievement because three years ago we weren't worth a piss. We were absolutely, you know, rotten as anything. Um, you know, that last season of Patricia, I mean it, pick any of the, the Patricia seasons. It was just felt like a rotten team with, you know, rotten management, bad coaching and players that didn't give a shit. And, you know, just look, look where we are now. It's, it's like an unbelievable transformation. And I mean, even to when the last time the Lions had moderate success and talk about the, the highest win percentage head coach for the Lions in Jim Caldwell. 
we never felt like in that regime that we were going to go all the way personally. It felt like we were a good team that was scraping into the playoffs deservedly, but just about in two of the four seasons he was in charge, I think. Yeah. Um, and the that was as far as we were going to go, but we were going to be grateful we got to the wildcard game. And that was sort of our ceiling. We weren't big threats. We were feisty. Stafford and his weapons, it was like, oh, they'll challenge you on offense, but that defense will fold. And, you know, you, you'll get your play. Don't worry about it. Whereas now, even with uh, everyone says, oh, this is the worst defense in the playoffs remaining. But they're turning the ball over quite frequently and they're ending drives with big sacks. They're just giving up chunk plays too. But it feels like if you want the defense to, to make a stop, you know, the, the Bucks with the ball out of the half had to punt, which felt like a really big point because the momentum had swung their way. If we'd given up something there, that would have been really disastrous for us. And then when it came to... Um, other bits further on down the game. I think we've forced another thing. We went up 14 and then we forced a three and out or something. And then we ended up giving the ball back or something like that. The defense can make plays. And then the offense, well, it feels like it's, it's more balanced than Baltimore. It feels like it's more reliable than Kansas city. It, I, I feel like we're firing more than San Francisco at the moment. Uh, from, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to forget about, previous Lions eras, but from what I remember of the Caldwell area, era, it felt like every single game we had to have a perfect game to win. Stafford had to have a perfect game. Um, you know, all our receivers, we, we couldn't afford a drop because whatever mistake we made, that would crush us. Um, and it feels now that we're winning with like, you know, a margin of comfort. Um, Obviously, we still have to make big plays. Everyone still has to do their job. But there isn't that kind of knife edge that you had during the Caldwell era where once one thing went wrong, it just instantly fell apart. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I feel like that knife edge, the, the cliff edge still exists. But what we've done is we flipped the script on that cliff edge where we were the team where there was a key play and we were getting the 30%, 70% position, it's 70, 30 the other way. We're the one dictating terms. When when it comes to a big play, it tends to be that we're going for it on offense on fourth down and two. And it feels like that's the advantage us. And it's we're clutch. I know that we were clutch in the Stafford era, that he made some fantastic plays when we really needed it. But it felt like that was to get us out of trouble, where it feels yeah. like this is to get us in front. And I mean, like when the when Gibbs ripped off that huge run for the touchdown in the Caldwell era, there would have been a flag on that play. <laughs> yeah, oh. like that's how it would have gone down. Like, and the, the fact that we can be clean, um, I, we, we had very few penalties in that game. I'm not, I can't remember how many penalties we got, but uh, one on offense, and we had the hold. On Melafonwu on defense, I can't remember if there are any others. There weren't many. You're right. But, oh, we had the chop block as well. Maybe that was the one penalty on. Hang on, I'll have a look. One penalty on offense on Montgomery for the chop block. On defense, uh, oh, where? Okay, Ash, Ash says three penalties for seventeen yards. Thank you very much. I mean that that's a clean clean game that is. 
Yeah, definitely. Against uh, a dynamic team on offense. I mean, Rashad White is not the most productive back in terms of yards per attempt, but it's because the offensive line isn't a great run-blocking offensive line. But he's a dynamic player in of himself. And then with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Trey Palmer's done bits too in these playoffs and Kate Otten was the reason they won the game last week after going eight catches for 90 yards or something. And he, Kate Otten had a good day yesterday. I thought he was great. So, you know, there we go. Uh, blocking the back on the punt return. Thank you, Ash. Okay. Um, any other any other thoughts you had? I, I, I just won, wondered what you thought about the Niners as a matchup. Like just initial thoughts. I know, I know we're going to do the preview on on Thursday, but just what what your thoughts are in terms of whether that's a favourable matchup for us. I mean, they've been so good all the way through the season. I think they had a blip where they lost three games in a row, but otherwise they've been the best team in the NFC. It's not been particularly close, so it's not going to be a good matchup because it's a damn good team. That said. If you said to me, you can take the Eagles when they are absolutely on it and they're firing like they were, uh, well, they weren't even that on it, but maybe say, let's see last year's Eagles in the NFC Championship game or this year's Niners. I think the Eagles are a much worse matchup for us. They don't have a physical big bodied receiver, which I think actually plays into Cam Sutton's hands quite well, because like it or not, we do have to rely on that guy. And he's had... Uh, just a terrible playoffs. I think he's been really poor. But he makes the odd play here or there, and he's going to have to against Ayuk. Debo feels like he's going to be really hard to cover. And McCaffrey, well, you know what? We're good in run defense, but the way they get him the ball is just so hard to cover. I will say that, you know, it's not unlike Alvin Kamara, and we do have several ex-Saints who know exactly how that works, so I'd hope we could drop some game plan for that. Their offensive line is really bad on the right-hand side of the line and amazing on the left, so you just want Hutch to take over this game. It's possible that we just wreck them. Purdy doesn't look like he's having a fantastic... Well, only one game, but he didn't play well. Defensively, I mean, Warner's just a beast, isn't he? And uh, Char uh, Chardavius Warner, what's his name? Javarius Ward is fantastic and Bozer and whatever, but they struggled against the run. Against the Packers, they really struggled. So as a team that identifies itself with the run, I feel like that could play into our hands on offense, but also we can pass the ball really well. They're good in coverage. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. And then on defense, they've got lots of weapons, but, but none of them I think are super scary for this Detroit team on their own. So it's one of the more favourable matchups we could have against the number one seed, I would say. What, what do you think? I, I think the big thing for me is at quarterback. The, the thing where we're really vulnerable is a mobile quarterback um, or a quarterback that's got an arm where, you know, someone like Dak Prescott, who, when he's throwing well, can put the ball on a dime you know, 45 yards down the field. And Purd is neither of those things. Um, and I think Goff can outplay Purdy it, it, based on current form, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the one thing where we where 
we can always lose a game is just when you have a quarterback who's playing out of his skin, who when you just think, yeah, we've got them, we've we've got them in a third and third and long, third and twelve situation, and you know, a Mahomes or a Jackson will wriggle out and put the ball thirty yards on a rope. And it, it it's that where I always feel we are susceptible to getting beaten. Nothing else about the Niners particularly scares me because I, I think McCaffrey um is someone that, that we can absolutely contain based on how we've been scheming on defense. Um our, you know, our run defense has been absolutely solid. And I'm not sure that they're gonna be able to get McCaffrey out to the edge as much as they as Shanahan will try to. I think that we will counter that quite nicely. Um I, I, I guess my worry is that we can't get our run game going and we have to rely too much on Goff playing outside as well. So I think this is a, a really tight game. And I, I, I think, did I see somewhere Vegas was giving them plus seven and a half, plus eight and a half? It was six and a half when I last looked. She's come down. I, I saw seven, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's around, about, around it's range. So, yeah, I, I think... I, I think that um, we're good value to cover cover that absolutely, and, and yeah. we're going to have to play well, you know, on the road, you know, against a, a coach that, you know, as as, but I mean, Shanahan's as you know has been very beatable in in the playoffs in previous years, so I don't think we should be scared. I think the pressure is on the Niners. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give you a little stat to maybe help you a bit because obviously I jumped back in. So you're saying we're worried about us setting up the run. Guess where the 49ers' defence is in terms of EPA per play against the run on defence? I'm guessing they're bad. 26th in the league. Admittedly, they're good everywhere else. Like Their offence is literally first, first, first in total pass and run. But on defence, 7th overall, 5th against the pass, 26th against the run. And we saw it last week against Aaron Jones, got some got yards against them. And with Monty and Gibbs, we've got two running backs that are at least equitable to Jones, if not better. So I yes. think we can we can definitely run the ball on them. And yeah, it sounds stupid because obviously they've got a really damn good front four. And then they've got two really damn good linebackers with um, Greenlaw and um, I forgot his name, Fred Warner. Their secondary isn't good though as well. So if we can get those them drawn up for the pass, we can hit them deep. Especially with J- I can see JMO just like this. It, I can see it's been the JMO breakout game. You've been calling that every single week for a month. One of these days it's going to happen. It's like the Aleem McNeil fullback dive. One of these days I will finally I, I, get I, to I think, um, I think Jameer Gibbs is absolutely key, not just as a, a runner, but also as a receiver in this game. Yeah. He's been fantastic in the receiving game the last few weeks. After not really being used in that way for for the majority of the season, he's really come alive. So I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. Um, we had a, a comment I just wanted to address. Um, it's from Lisa De Lorenzo, who's a regular listener, who just said, Matthew, something you said earlier, which I find myself struggling with, I'm 62. If we don't win it all, it would be very difficult for me because I would love my team to win a Super Bowl before my end. And I think there's a lot of Lions fans in that boat, you know, that would put your date of birth after the last Lions championship in 1957. And, you know, 
there's a lot of Lions fans who've been waiting all their life for this. So even though I can happily sit here right at the top of the show and feel and say we are the epitome of playing like we've got house money on this now because no one's going to expect us to beat the Niners and then whoever we face in the Super Bowl, we're going to be underdogs too. So it's like, if we win, great. But if we don't, it's been a great year. But a huge portion of the fan base are going to be absolutely crushed if we lose. And I don't think the players are going to feel that, but they are carrying the weight of the entire state on them. And I mean, hell, maybe even the majority of America being, as the New York Post calls it, the true America's team, because the majority of the geographical area of the United States are pulling for us to win it all. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, where was the headline, America's team? New York Post. New York Post. Yeah, I a mean, very respectable publication. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the equivalent um, of our Daily Star. Yes, you are correct. Uh, News of the World, maybe. Even worse, yeah. Uh, Mark Mar uh, just came I mean, and said, "No, it is not." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just feel it just feels surreal to be having like these conversations, like. But like I, I'm just ex waiting for like Ryan and Ant to come in and start talking about the draft, but yeah. we're not. Uh, we're talking I, I, about I, another, if you, another if game. If you want, if you want, I can start. No, no. <laughs> not yet. No, no, uh, no, I no, will. No, no. I, I will just say to Lisa in response. I know that our schedule next year is going to be harder. Playing a first place schedule when the rotation doesn't look like it's going to be in our favour. But if you believe in this regime. And you believe in the pull of what we've done as being attractive to free agents who buy into what Campbell does. And you buy into Brad Holmes when looking at that pool of free agents who aren't going to bring in just the ring chasers, but people who really do buy into what's happening because the culture then doesn't change. And you buy into Brad Holmes continuing to make good draft picks and being able to get production from rookie players, even though we have a harder schedule next year, which seems undoubtable to me that there should be no reason why, even it's through through the playoff route, because if you have a look at any of the other teams, and the, the Packers route is much easier than ours next year. It's not even funny how different it is. That we should still feel like we're going to be competitive next year when it comes to expecting us to get back to maybe at least the divisional round next year. I, I always thought next year was going to be our year. Not this year. I always thought that we were still one or two players away. Um, like, imagine if we had a CB1 next season. It doesn't matter who we play next season. If we've got a CB1 next season, then I'd feel a lot more confident going into every game. That's fair. Yeah, I completely agree. So you're preaching to the choir there with my catchphrases these, these days. Many thanks to GA2Skip for subscribing with Prime. It's their fourth month doing so. Thank you very, very much. We've got Campbell's press conference, which Ash has transcribed for me, which is fantastic. Do you want to do you want to run it down since you've been writing about it? You know what the tone was that, that true, was yeah. True. It, it's actually this week we've got a lot more because this he did waffle on a bit of some bits, but it's good. So he obviously starts off his open remarks. He says, we set the tone in the third quarter and it's ground out from there. We had to play aggressive against them and it worked. So same with that, obviously, getting the sort of two free and outs to start on their possessions in the third quarter, it gave us some momentum. 
And then when we needed a unit to step up, they did it. So he was referring mostly to the defence and the run game there. Again, with the second half. Then he was asked a bit about the AG, like, oh, yeah, what did AG do to set this up? He's like, he, uh, well, grinds for hours on tape to prepare himself, the coaches and the players to get the best calls for the situations. And not only does he know football, but he's a great leader. He's got it. He's got great communication. He's a great teacher. And he's better looking than him. Dan's, Dan's actual words. He had to say all these nice things and then end it with like a little like a sarcastic joke. Shows probably how close they are, the good friends. On the non-timeout at the end, uh, you know when he says it's on him, he should have bled the clock down more to not put Bowles in that situation. But he concurs with Bowles and with Matt that the game was over. There was no need to call the timeout. There was no way Tampa were getting back into the game. So he completely agrees with that. He was then asked about Ragnar obviously coming back in and like how important Ragnar is. He says when special te- when the other players are going through special team periods, the offensive line Goff and uh, running backs go into one of the meeting rooms and just run through blitz pickups. What they if they face this look and this person comes, this is what you're going to do, and it's imperative that Goff and Ragnar need to be on the same page for that, which obviously happens most of the time. So if they run a look that they haven't done since week two, Ragnar and Goff will go buff. Both got to pick that up, agree that it's that look and set up the protection right. And for the most most part, they do that. And that Frank loves knowing the stuff. He loves being tested on like, his sort of mental recall with this. So much so that supposedly he's calling up the assistant coaches at half past four in the morning, demanding the game plan for this week. So he can start <laughs> breaking it down and working out what he needs to remember and what to discard. And then he was obviously asked, hinging on that, about Jonah. It's hard to say if he'll be back for the Super Bowl. It depends on how fast he heals from the surgery, but the timeline is certainly there for him to be back for the Super Bowl. So it, I think it was a bit more serious than Ragnar's one where he took the week off and then he was back to normal. I think this was a bit more for serious injury. But then he went on to say the offensive line depth is big for us. It's useful to have guys who have banked a lot of reps for us and having the time to pair properly with the guys this week will help Kredio Shika. So expect him to start at left guard. Um, against the 49ers, that might be a bit interesting. Me personally, I would have started uh, Dan Skipper at left guard. Let's get him versus Armstead after the bullshit remarks Armstead made about Skipper in the offseason last year. And then on the fans, the only thing that he wanted to happen that didn't happen this year was a blown out eardrum, but we'll work on that next season. Again, sort of teasing the fans like, okay, you did great this season. We need you to do even better next season. On the inactive, so he was asked specifically about uh, Charles Harrison Walker. They're consummate pros. They go about their business and give us everything they can. They help the guy across from them prepare for what they're going to face. So last week, uh, he specifically picked up that Charles Harris was basically going up against Decker, te- like getting him ready to face uh, Byron Young. And there was two absolute great rushes that got past Decker, and it helped him learn how to handle that kind of edge rush. And it really helps, basically saying basically scout team at this point, which is a bit harsh for two guys who are very seasoned pros, but they're happy to do it. They want to help the team whatever way they can. And they're being very useful for the younger guys and being mentors, obviously. Charles Harris with like Hutch and Houston and Pascal, sort of getting them up to speed with how to do certain things. And then obviously Walker with Kirby, with Iffy, being viewed useful guys. And then he sort of ended, he was asked about the non-football stuff, which partly is probably the media stuff to do with like all the interviews and that for him, but also obviously AG and 
Ben Johnson interviews, not Disney. Disney's turned down the Panthers. Thank you, sir. Uh, which is good to hear. But he says he doesn't know entirely what's to come with that kind of stuff. But he said he himself will turn his back on any, I've, I've said extra cookies, but any stuff like that. So non-football, so media interviews and that, if it's needed so he can get ready for the game. So I think he is probably going to take over more of the game planning this week to get to ease the load for AG and Ben while then maybe have a couple of more Zoom interviews. Because I know, I think after this, they won't be able to then interview until after the Super Bowl. So I think, I, I think in bet- in the bye week between the championship game and the Super Bowl, I think they can. But I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah, it's been, that's how it ended. It's basically, him saying he'll do that, and then he obviously went off to do his thing. So it was a good. It was a good little press press conference. He's definitely he's definitely happy. He's a definitely happy guy. But obviously, he did also mention his uh, things to clean up. So. I'm sure some people were getting chewed out a bit, but for the most part, happy Dan, which is good to see. Mm. Couple of questions that we've had. Mike the Marina said question for later. Any healthy scratch players you were playing this Sunday? Any only thoughts? one I can only one I can maybe see is um Houston, potentially. That's it. Yeah, Houston, if he's ready, definitely. Yeah, and then it feels like Ertz is going to just be a straight replacement and he'll get elevated, but we'll see. I don't see anyone else coming in personally. Uh, I didn't actually list in our news, but it did happen since the last time we spoke to the people on Thursdays. We did actually re-sign Julian Acquara to the practice squad, didn't we? So he's available for elevation should we require him. Yep, and the good thing about the playoffs is you can elevate as many times as you want. Yeah, there's no restrictions there. Uh, final question. Joshua Mercer 7 asks, does Kindle Vildor get signed for next year and asks cornerback room get revamped during the off-season? I would sign Vildor, but, uh, but I also do agree the CB room needs to get revamped. So people on the Discord, if you join the, if you join the Discord, I'm doing the promotion again like I did yesterday. But I've posted a mock draft in there today where my top two picks were both corners because I think we really need to rehaul this, especially if, if AG sticks around, it's going to happen. Like, we've done the we've done the front seven now. That's to a good standard. He'll probably want to now. He'll probably want to get his alpha guy now to really play his scheme. So I can see it getting fully revamped. As much I hate to say it, I can see Jerry testing the market and getting a starting job somewhere else on a decent contract. He's probably not going to be back. Certain we're stuck with. I don't say stuck with because he's a good CB2, but he's going to have to get relegated to that CB2 role. He can't be the alpha anymore. And someone in the depth is going to go. So Chase Lucas obviously on the roster, but he hasn't really been playing. He's probably gone. He's probably going to go and chase a start a role somewhere. Maybe uh, Khalil Dorsey could. Maybe, maybe Gilly, because the team believes in him, but he hasn't. He's been inactive for the entire season. Maybe he want to go and get a role somewhere where maybe he can get a CB three four role and get some snaps somewhere. Uh, I think that um, Sutton will be if we properly revamp our cornerback room. Sutton will be CB three, and Vildor and Gilmore will be on the practice squad. I think Vildor's cornerback one at the moment in terms of how well he's yeah. played. I think he's outperformed Sutton for the majority of, of when he's been on the team. And but Sutton's always gone up against a hard receiver. 
potentially true. Although there have been plenty of teams yeah. that have had two good wide receivers yeah. where he's had to go up against someone really good. And I think he's performed better in that circumstance. And I mean, so yesterday, actually, his assignment isn't too bad because he's probably going up against Trey Palmer the majority of the time. Uh, but so uh, it's tough. Um, so Evans, yeah, Evans was mostly up over Sutton. Yeah. I see if there's one better shared. Yeah. I mean, Evans is one of the best best receivers in the league and has been yeah. for 10 years. He has been, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Vildor had Godwin, I think, most of the time, four targets, uh, one reception. Maybe had Hammy and Palmer. Yeah, one. And then Palmer split time equally between Sutton and Vildor. And yeah, yeah, let's use, let's use Trey Palmer because it's kind of equitable. So both gave up a catch to, uh, to Palmer and one target. Kit Vildor. Nine yards with zero yards after the catch. Sutton twenty-three yards, ten yards after the catch, and a first down. I do. I think the thing for me about Sutton is he hasn't just looked bad. He his technique has been poor as yeah. well. So you had Evans just sidestepping the the jam at the line. And it was like, wow, that I know Evans is good, but you wouldn't say that him being quick twitch on the line was one of his big things. And yet Sutton's been beaten off the snap like that is just worrying. And maybe his confidence is just down, but yeah. he's had two games above a 75 grade. He's had one, two, three, four, five in the region of 50 or less. Like, it's been harsh. And so his one of his worst games of the year was against Carolina in week five. He had a really bad game against Kansas City in week one, apparently. And there's no one to write home about for, that he would have been covering in that game. Uh, he had an awful game against Las Vegas, but okay, you're covering one of the best guys who actually didn't really do anything in that game, so maybe he wasn't covering him. He had a really bad game against the Chargers, matched up against Keenan Allen. Well, he's one of the best ones in the league, fine. Bad game against Green Bay, bad game against Dallas, against Minnesota, against Minnesota again. Okay, those are bad matchups for him, and this is the worst grade of his career as a starter. But is that going to get better against the second and third guy? Because it feels like to me that his problem isn't really who he's going up against, but the problem has been him. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like I think to see... I'm. I think I'm slightly higher on him than you, but uh, I think he would be a very service serviceable CB three, maybe CB two. Yeah, I, I, I mean he'll have to be because we're paying him to be, and we can't get out of it next season anyway. So he's going to have to be CB two or three. But he can't be CB1, which means we need to take a big swing somewhere. And it doesn't feel like that's available in the free agency unless someone gets cut as a cap casualty. So it feels like trade or draft is the only way. Isn't Sneed in free agency? He's going to get re-signed. That's the thing. I think a lot of these guys you'll pick out. So, for example, one I'll be looking at is Jordan Lewis, who you might remember was getting one of the interceptions on Goff against Dallas. They're going to re-sign him. That's the problem. Is you it- look at all these... Isn't Kansas City got like a bad cap situation? They might do them all. Spot track. Kansas City Chiefs. 
2025 days. Dooby dooby doo. They are projected next year to have around 100. Oh, that does not seem right. 122 million dollars. That's somehow. not right. Yeah, it's not right. Uh, they next year they have twenty eight and a half million dollars in cap space. They did have I forty. Sorry, did I dream it or did I see somewhere t in the last few hours on Twitter about a rumor about um, Kelsey retiring? Not Jason, but Travis. Really? Potentially. Surely not. What? Well, like I'm yeah. sure I, this yeah, season at sure, sure. yeah, the end of the yeah. season. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw it, but I don't believe it. Nah, not when the well, not when the league is try, probably going to try and set up a Kelsey versus Kelsey Super Bowl next year with Taylor Swift as a halftime show. Well, well you think Jason's going to come back out of retirement? Yes, because on this podcast this week with Travis, he says, "Yeah, I said some stuff that maybe in the locker room that maybe seems like I'm retiring, but I haven't made that decision yet." Leaving the door open. I mean, yeah. if he it, Kelsey is under contract for a cash amount next year of $17.25 million. Yeah. I don't think he's leaving that on the table in the last year. Oh, in fact, sorry, that's 2025. 2024, he's going to have cash of $13 million on the table. So in total for those two years, he's going to get about 30 mil. Just, I'd come back, personally. <laughs> I mean, if they cut him... They do get a fair amount of savings on that, but I just can't see that happening either. So whatever. Um, Brent DeWitt asked one more question as well, and then we're going to end because I'm tired as hell after yesterday. Brent DeWitt asked, one thing I've noticed since the regime changes is that most of the time now we're good enough to beat the team and the rest other than Dallas, of course, thoughts, which I think is kind of what we were alluding to before, Steve, about kind of feeling like in those borderline moments we're the team to be going in front rather than trying to get back to even. But Ash, you didn't really address that sort of point. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I can I can agree. Like, admittedly, early in the first season, we didn't have the talent. But again, now we always have the mentality and now it's just growing to the point where we have enough talent to grit to get over it. Like, even against that, like Dallas... We should have won that game. Like, yeah, I know the point was like we didn't manage to beat, um, we didn't beat, manage to beat the refs. But even like, look at last week with that bullshit full start on Decker. We overcame it. Like, we might still be emotionally young, is maybe best way to put it in terms of this kind of pressure. Like, we haven't really got many players that played a lot of playoff stuff and that. But even if we get, I think, even if we get into a two touchdown hole against San Francisco next year, there's always going to be a chance we can come back. We've shown it before. Like, look at the first game of the regime against San Francisco, in San Francisco, and we put up a fight for the most part. It came down to an onside kick at the end, and they cut, cut the court. If we got that, we could have drove down for the win. And that was on our first game of this regime where our wide receiver won. Tyrell Williams got a concussion and had to medically retire. Of course, we did get a, a recovery on an onside kick before the second onside yeah. kick in that drive. Exactly, so, like, yeah. we got super lucky to even get in that spot. But yeah. yeah. Even then, that's what I'm saying. That was, look, we managed to get there with maybe a lot of luck, yes, but not a lot of talents. Like, can you, like, you remember that roster at start? Like, you had, okay, we had Khalif then as our wide receiver one, but who else did we have? Throwing two. We had Swift in the backfield, who, yeah, okay. 
He usually had some good games, but he wasn't all that. I, we've come a long way, and yet the team's grown with that as well. The talent has risen to meet the level of mental resilience that the regime has. All right, I think we've gone on long enough here, so I'm going to call it there. San Francisco and the NFC Championship Preview is going to be later on this week. Now, I've got it penciled in for Thursday, as we normally do, but I will leave that up for grabs and maybe see if we can move it a little bit to get some more people on the show, because I know Thursday evening is not the best day for the rest of the guys so potentially maybe have a look at friday to do that i don't know we'll we'll talk about it amongst ourselves and then i'll get it scheduled up on youtube if you want to know when that's coming you can always refer to that we will be back on the live show breaking it down myself and ash from 6 20 p.m eastern time that is 11 20 p.m uk time if you want to Turn off whichever awful commentators are talking about our game. You can sync it up to us and and have a bit more fun. Uh, The College Podcast is coming back later this week. Not sure when. Usually Wednesday, but sometimes moves. They are going to be previewing the East-West Shrine Bowl. And if you want to go back, they've also talked at length about the Hula Bowl, which was the first All-Star game. So Hula Bowl is the really unsung hero type players that might be day three or later for basically all of them. They're coming from small schools. They're coming from FCS and D2 and all this sort of stuff. East West Shrine is like your, your mid day two and lower, but unsung guys as well. And then you've got your senior bowl, which is the week afterwards, which is your, your day one, day two and, and top of day three prospects. So that's all happening as we go in the run-up to Detroit 2024. I know that we're still in this right now, but if you don't have time to listen to it right now, you don't have to. You can always go back and listen to it because it's going to be a huge spring in Detroit coming up. You can find us on our socials on Rural Lines UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And the group of worldwide fans is Detroit Lines Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. It's the website where you can find Ash's preview articles. And I mean... With all this going on, you may find some others there as well in the next few days, rotluk.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider. And any comments and anything like that on this video is, of course, really welcomed. It helps the algorithm. And, of course, it's just great to converse with you guys. Don't forget the Discord channel, though, because you can just talk with us all week there, too. Just remains to me to thank Ashley Soden, and Stephen Collins for doing this with me. And to you, dear listener, the Lions are now 14 and 5 this season, going for number 15 on Sunday. Let's go, Lions One Pride. One Pride. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. Mm-hmm.